Hey everyone, I'm Luke, and welcome to this episode of Exploring Kodawari. This episode is part two of my wife, Yanka, and I talking about the topic of nihilism. If you have not yet heard part one, I recommend going back to hear that first. This episode is basically just the second half of that conversation. In part one, we talked about the meaning crisis and different forms of nihilism, especially Nietzsche and existential nihilism. We also talked about our personal struggles with nihilism and why we think it's a better idea to fully confront nihilism head on, you know, instead of ignoring it or pretending nihilistic thoughts aren't there, etc. But in this episode, part two, we talk about how to contend with nihilism and move beyond it, finding a more durable sense of meaning in the process. It's a sense of personal development and spirituality. I don't mean spirituality in a woo-woo way, by the way. A spirituality that's not just about here up, so to speak, but also here down. By that I mean contending with your shadow and directly facing some of your darker thoughts, like nihilistic thoughts, in order to integrate them and move beyond them. It's a very Carl Jung shadow type of idea, fitting in with his quote that no tree can grow to heaven unless its roots reach down to hell. We also wonder, like, what even is meaning? Is it by definition something that you can't define or pin down? Maybe meaning is just implicit and deeper than our conscious brains can understand? Sort of like why music gives us goosebumps or something makes us tear up? Or maybe, as Kevin Simler writes about in his blog, A Nihilist Guide to Meaning, maybe meaning is just pointing, having lots of causal connections pointing out from your life to other people and things. Lastly, we also had to discuss, of course, Camus and his philosophy of absurdism, especially as outlined in his essay, The Myth of Sisyphus. For Camus, Sisyphus outlines just how absurd the human condition is, but he also thinks that one can choose to live a meaningful life even after admitting this absurdity. Quote, The struggle itself towards the heights is enough to fill a man's heart. One must imagine Sisyphus happy. So this is kind of our more optimistic part two to the nihilism topic. So thanks for listening and hope you enjoy the episode. Okay, part two, nihilism. Welcome back. <laughs> it's been a lovely three minutes. Um, what wine are we drinking, by the way? The computer is blocking it. We are drinking Menage a Trois Midnight. Midnight blend? What does that mean? It's deep, dark, and magical. It is dark. It's like dark got a really red nice blend. Yeah, sort of dark sweet. It's the dark red blend of Menage a Trois. I guess so. Okay. <laughs> um, really good, like thirteen dollar bottle, twelve dollar bottle. Whatever it really it is. is. Yeah. Blackberry flavors. Nothing wrong with. Ha. Huh. Linger. <laughs> okay, never mind. I thought I. Whatever. Let's move on. <laughs> Moving on. So. Um. In this episode, like we're gonna. Uh, sort of connect to how we just ended like nihilism what it is some of the philosophy about it and also like sort of how it's on the rise in our culture we were talking about um that a lot of like the social justice woke-ish type stuff that's very popular now sort of like questioning the foundations of our society and finding problems in a lot of places right which is not an entirely terrible thing per se, I yeah, think. Yeah, almost nothing is entirely bad. Like meaning um, like it's it's a good thing, but I feel like coming 
a lot, yeah, and, and a lot of the motivation the is good, but we were saying in the last episode that a lot of it seems fueled more by a, a kind of nihilism or darkness rather than love, you know? Love plus actually trying to, like, make a positive change. Okay, I'm assuming too much, maybe. Yeah, I don't like to make assumptions. I mean, like, obviously, I have my ideas, but... Um, one way you can look at the outcomes of, of what happens when people do certain things, say certain things and, and wonder like, why are their outcomes consistently almost the opposite of, of what would be good or righteous or whatever. So I think nihilism is on the rise in our culture. And we were trying to say that when you're sort of automatically letting yourself be a nihilist, you know what I mean? Like, um, subconsciously like you've sort of made those assumptions but you don't maybe admit it to yourself fully honestly then something like an ideology can very easily um take you up because your brain really wants to put meaning onto onto your life and the suffering you have and the tragedy that is life you know and it's just very easy for very sure confident thoughts to fill that void um so I think the the lesson of this these two episodes on nihilism for me what I've done over the past 5 years or so is really contend with nihilism like wrestle with it meaning like give it its due chance of being right mm-hmm. <laughs> really camp in nihilism really steel man it you know not the straw man argument but you make the strongest version of an argument the steel man um and then once you've really done that, you can sort of build yourself a, a, a meaning and a life philosophy that's your own because you've really gone down into the shadowy parts of yourself, looked at like, yeah, there's that part of myself that really sees how how nihilistic I could be yeah. and maybe even convinces me to act that way sometimes. But I'm going to like go down and shine a light down there and understand it so that I can build up you know, the Carl Jung quote, uh, no tree to gr- can grow to heaven unless its roots reach down to hell. Oh, beautiful. That's a good quote. Yeah. Um, so y- in this episode, I think let's make the topic more like choosing meaning. Sort of like, what is meaning? How can you really contend with nihilism, but, but still find a genuine meaning? Meaning like an intelligent version of it. Mm-hmm. Not someone who just never thinks about nihilism, but someone who dealt with it and got past it, you know? Yeah. Um, Cause I also like, you know, when you meet a nihilistic person, the very thing that will shut them up, what they expect of most people is you've just never seen what I've seen. Yeah. It's very, they think they've really people. seen some darker reality, which might be entirely true in certain cases. It might be. And yeah, also but- I want, I forgot to say this in part one, but I want to be clear that, I'm not in in speaking about nihilism. I'm not speaking about individual people who might have like mental health issues with depression and other um, things in that world. Like that is a completely different, you know, uh, uh, temporary sort of way of viewing the world when you're in a mind state like that. And it's not something that it's not like just being in the philosophy classroom and thinking through ideas because you're, you're just chemically and emotionally and all sorts of things stuck in a certain viewpoint. So I, I don't mean that at all. Like that's a different issue. That is a different, whole different topic. The nihilism we're talking about is sort of like, um, the one that starts on the intellectual level. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
people and then coming into sort of becomes like your mm-hmm. sort of like excuse to live a shittier life, you know? Yeah. So what is meaning? What is meaning? What is, is, is what, <laughs> what is the meaning of is? No. <laughs> <laughs> what, what is the meaning of meaning? Like what is meaning? I just like what, what that's <laughs> like a weird meaning. trippy question. Like what comes to your mind when I ask that? Meaning. Are you just like, beep, boop, boop, I want dinner. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, hold on. Let's see. What's meaning? It's just like a f- force or a drive that keeps you going, I guess. And it's very different for everybody, perhaps. We all label different things as meaning. But I yeah. think it's like a driving force. It's a very flexible word. It is. I think really powerful In words are really context, at least, flexible, you know? Is, yeah. Not only are they flexible, but it's sort of a word that's very hard to um, pin down, you know? It's not in one place. Mm-hmm. It's more, more... I mean, obviously, there's, like, meaning, like, um, like symbols, you know? Like, this symbol means... This Arabic numeral one means this concept, you know? Mm-hmm. But meaning is also kind of tied up with, like, purpose and stuff, you know? Like, what's the meaning of life? It's sort of like, do you mean what's the purpose of life or what does it literally mean? You know, like, so sometimes with these things, it's easy to say like what it is through like metaphor or comparison or what it's not. So I wrote one of them down about why meaning is not just utility. In other words, we said in the past episode, if you had to help your friend move and you wanted to bail on them, um, And I said, oh, one, maybe there's a person out there that might actually think to themselves, I should go help them move because if I help them, then later they'll be able to help me with something. That would be like utility, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And so I wrote this, like, if you're holding a fork and then holding an old photograph of your spouse that died, which one has more meaning? Fork, obviously. (laughs) (laughs) So like the fork would have more utility, you know, like you could actually use that to eat. You can, it's a tool. And what's the photograph going to do to like keep you alive, right? But the photograph is more meaningful. That's one way to point at the, the meaning of meaning, you know, like we, we can say like we care about what's most useful to us, but then we definitely care about holding that old photograph and, and saving it than even saving like, the tool that would keep us alive, like a knife in the wild or something like that, you know? Of course. So that that's just a gesture at meaning. Maybe it's the amount of um, memories you have stored towards that thing that give you the instinct of meaning. Um, why does music give me goosebumps sometimes? What is that? Wow, hard. Have you ever thought, you, you get that sometimes, oh, well, right? Of course, of course. Have you ever thought, like, what is this or where is this coming from? Oh. I just, like, knew where it came from always, almost, you know then what I tell mean? tell me. I, I mean, by no means, like, like, I never had to question it. Like, it was such a, like... You never had to question it. I agree on some level. You know what I mean? Like it was such an automatic, like it was, I was so, I mean, I've been in music for so long since I've known myself. So it was just, at that point, it felt like it was part of the whole, you know, 
existing, <laughs> I guess. Like it was part of exist. Existence. It seems pretty easy yeah. to me that um, to imagine that someone who's already religious, when they're listening to religious music in a church, that those musics that give you goosebumps to them feels like they're being touched by the spirit of God. That makes perfect sense to me. Because I think that, that, that feeling when music gives you goosebumps is not something that your intellect can understand the same way you can open a math textbook and, and start to teach yourself something. Mm. And then the other one I wrote was like, why do we tear up sometimes? So we had, I had this topic of nihilism in my um, phone. I was typing some stuff on the plane, a few spare moments here and there. And then I think it was on Christmas day morning, we were waiting for my parents to get there. We started watching It's a Wonderful <laughs> Life on TV. We both at the same and time me and started y- crying. <laughs> me and Yanka like side monkeyed each other. Do you know the side monkey meme where... Um, yeah, th- th- you, people are like, not seeing you, Luke, but yeah. <laughs> shit. I mean, side monkey, just Google side monkey, monkey meme. It's but, this hilarious like way where like you look sideways at someone to see, like get a read on them without them necessarily like knowing yeah. you're... Um, I also started crying watching Home Alone, so that's a different topic probably. Hey, I can see that too. Follow the star in your heart was the message of Home Alone. Let's not forget um, the old guy. Yeah, I cried at the old guy. Um, The old guy, what was it? The George line? Anyway, let's not. So I kind of wrote this question in my phone along the same ways where I'm trying to say like maybe our meaning comes to us through instinct, right? That's what I'm driving at here. And I was asking myself, okay, like about this instinct, these important moments that come to you that you don't create like through planning and like there's some element of mystery to it. Um, why we treasure old photographs and, and why you would save, you know, uh, your spouse who dies. If your spouse dies, you would save their sweater and you wouldn't, you know, just think of it as like a clothes item that you can sell and get money. Like, there's just a sense of meaning there. This meaning in music when you get goosebumps. And then I wrote this third one of like, why are my eyes tearing up watching this movie right now? And I, I really wanted to like figure it out. Did you think like that at all? Or were you just kind of like, okay, well, it's time to eat lunch? Uh, like not, I kinda, none I kinda, of the above. I can't, I can't thought of different things. What, like what, I exactly, what do you think made us tear up while oh, watching the exactly, end of It's a Wonderful Life? Oh, I knew exactly what made me tear up. George Bailey. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, I mean, I don't exactly remember which scene it was, but I think it was the scene where we, we saw, you know, the man, a man that has friends, like something like that. Or That was the ending, yeah. Yeah, but like the, the scene. It's they're singing Auld Lang Syne. Everybody has donated money enough to save the bank. That wasn't the scene. And then the he scene. opens a card yeah. written by the angel Clarence and like a bell rings or something. And anyway, that, we don't need to get super specific. The, the, the message in the card said, no man is a failure yeah, who has friends. has friends. Yeah, that was beautiful. But I think the scene that made me tear up was when, you know, he was, when he's like, please take me back, please take me back. And the moment he was back, that's rough he, too, yeah. Yeah. So was he, just, he was, this is what I ended up figuring out, is he was driven to the edge of nihilism. That's true. George Bailey, you know, he. if you haven't seen the movie, like, spoiler alert, do we have to spoiler alert are, a movie from the 40s? Like, 40s? <laughs> um, he, he 
kept saying these very nihilistic things like, I wish I had never been born. Um, and the angel was, was like, oh my, suicide, oh my dude. dear, like you shouldn't say, say such things. And, yeah. and then he said things like, um, you know, the world would be better if I was never here. And then you saw all the steps. That and then obviously the better. movie is about him seeing the meaning he has through seeing its opposite. You know, he sees the world without him. And also his butterfly effect over the world and everything. Yeah. So, so I think, and like we need to mention, like he was such a wonderful guy, like from the first scene of the movie, it was very obvious that he, in those little scenes, like he was a great guy, you know what I mean? Even a wonderful what, guy like him. Whatever you want to say, he was, I, I think the word good is even better. Like there's a, way, a good emotion I get when you, when someone says he's a good guy. Yeah, that's true. It, it's, it, when you say someone's a great guy, it means they're probably like good at what they do. Yeah. But if you say, if a guy a tells you person. like, hey, you should hit up my friend, he's a good guy. That means like, he passed my moral test. Exactly. Like he's a good he was guy. a good person. And then even a person like that can fall into the trap of nihilism or like very easily the way he reacted to it's becoming oddly a, it's a wonderful life analysis but i think it's like relevant but um even the way he snapped at his kids and stuff you know what I yeah mean? Like, you saw him go into that dark place where his God, daughter is practicing himself. you know piano and he's like oh we just shut up you know <laughs> and he almost becomes a meme like an archetype of of um someone who's faced with such a difficult situation they just go like oh i want it to all go away i wish i never existed yeah so after seeing all of these the scene that he came back in and hugged all of his kids that's what made me cry yeah like he he's like Susu, oh my god like yeah you know all of that it was just so emotional he also um he makes you appreciate something about your life that you are taking granted for granted yes, yeah that's exactly you why can, i you teared up so here's your answer the, you can run the same experiment about your own life through seeing this story and you don't have to go through it. I mean, the scene where he's on the bridge, like screaming, like, I want to live, I want to live, you know. Um, he went down as dark as you can go and then came back up. That's sort of the hero's journey, you know. Um, so I think that's part of why I cried. And then I also, like, I wasn't like, <laughs> I was just like, you know, like eyes tearing up kind of situation it it's something like um it, it was it was like i couldn't get underneath it there was a sort of like um we were seeing a story about a bunch of people who assumed that being was good you know who's like who went with love and good being is good and 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 I think something about that and the contrast to like a lot of just pop culture today and like messages today are very just like cynical, you know, and that was just so wholesomely good, like bedrock level, like, you know, you exist to serve your community and to try and make things as good as possible so that other humans in the future can be living as good as possible. Yeah, we really don't have that sense in us, do we? We don't have a sense generation. of the future. Of course, because I feel like... We're serving the future generations. That's our mission. That's our, our, our goal as humans is to say being is good. We're going to keep this going and we want the future to be as good as possible. Well, and when we're so, we're so disconnected from that, people are just subtly nihilistic because they go like, we're screwing over the future. God, I well, wish I I'm not going to be like 
my great 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 grandchildren it's like well that's pretty dark you I should want them to have a good life mostly like coming from oh we're already screwed like you know global warming all that like or fuck yeah. virus you know <laughs> just, which is just not yeah, wrong you just I go understand. like in when the next bad news comes people these days tend to go like oh of course of course like yeah, if exactly. you were to see like new variant is 50 percent dead that you just laugh i think we would laugh at least i'd be like jesus christ like this simulation's <laughs> really challenging us right now yeah, right. <laughs> we're going through some growing pains yeah yeah, I mean, we, at the same time, in order to give you some perspective, when you look, you know, in World War Two era, like those people had like completely different set of problems. So at the same time, we've never been probably this much in harmony, yet so disconnected. So it's very we, ironic. We don't know where it's ending up, right? Yeah. So like we keep rambling, so we should probably. No. So the the job of this episode was to just sort of say, what is meaning? How to find meaning? So my claim is this. Meaning is not something you can box in with the intellect. Meaning is more just like feelings of goosebumps in music or the tearing up while watching the end of this movie. There was so much information involved in what made me tear up that I could spend hours and hours unpacking it and trying to remember the experience and writing about it. But the meaning is actually in that moment when it happened, there was just a harmony of understanding what makes us human beings uh, alive. You know, um, it's sort of like that quote, like um, dissecting a joke is like dissecting a baby. You can take it apart, but good luck putting it back together kind of thing. And like when you dissect certain things, like why is this meaningful? you almost sort of ruin it. Like the sum is greater than the parts kind of thing. So I think this kind of um, meaning comes from surrender. Mm. It's a sort of gesture of surrender of your brain of saying like, I don't understand the meaning here. And then meaning comes to you kind of thing. You know, that like you can't box in God. Kind of people will say, like, well, you can't define God. And then the intellect will say, oh, you're that you're just cheating, you know. So, you know, but the other side of your brain would go, hey, left brain, stop trying to box everything into these neat little categories and being all prickly. Because when you box something in, you box out. You can't box something in without boxing out, you know. And the right brain goes, why would we create a, a distinction there? Like, Maybe these are both the same thing. You know, it's that very spiritual, like seeing dualities uh, collapse into one where part of everything kind of idea. So I think meaning is surrender. Like that embodied sense of truth. You're saying I surrendered the ego to figuring out what the world is. And I'm going to listen to my bigger sense of truth from like, this sense of mystery and surrender. And then I think something more like love fills in the role. And and then your mission in life is to balance like this seeking of the truth part of yourself and being logically rigorous and prickly and that part of yourself that's more surrendering and and guided by something like love. Does that make any sense? Oh, of course, yeah. That's why I think all those components work so well together. I mean, we need science, but we need philosophy, but also we need religion, mindfulness maybe. and like for some people, religion. Yeah. Or maybe for all people, but we mean different things. That's by it. true. Cause maybe what I'm saying right now is what they mean by religion. 
someone who's religious. Like I'm saying like surrender to a higher power. And I think maybe that's an instinct to meaning that your nervous system has. It doesn't have to be something outside of um, what, what could be explained by science. It could be uh, the poetic naturalism. Like you believe in the natural world and scientific world, but it's poetic. It's a poetic world. Yeah, no, it can come in lots of different forms. Even like to surrender, like like you used to do, like you said, you would listen to like Neil deGrasse Tyson, like just geek out about universe. Like even to surrender the fact that like the, there is this universe. Like I think even that like can bring you so much meaning. Like or it's like surrender can, to the bigger thing yeah, exactly. in that case, yeah. right? You're surrendering to this fact that like I am literally made of stardust i'm looking up at the night sky and i see that the atoms that are colliding in the cores of those stars and making all this light yeah so that's my religion i, for I came from like the same whatever that is atoms yeah and that's fascinating um, like i surrender to that and like call call it whatever and i think i think it feels good to surrender actually um we're so tired all the time because we're constantly just holding, holding so, so tight. Yeah, I and when you so. surrender, it feels so good. And this is that myth, the master and his emissary of the right brain and the left brain. The left brain is the emissary. It's like the, the aid to the master who's just doing all the specific jobs. And the, the, the master is, is the one that, um, in the myth, the, the emissary plots to get rid of the master. He's like, why would I need a master? I can just do all this on my own. And so that, that left brain, the ego part of ourselves doesn't appreciate the wisdom of surrender. And so the ego is just like figuring out the world. And when you really figure out the world, you can become a nihilist. Yeah. But if you surrender from time to time, you'll, inherently feel a sense of meaning like the question of like what is the meaning of it all it isn't a pressing question because it's just obviously meaningful in the present moment you know um i sent you that article about it it was it was on a blog called melting asphalt i'll link it in the episode notes it's called a nihilist's guide to meaning mm -hmm. and the message of that essay was basically like the same message as part of It's a Wonderful Life. When um, towards the end of, of the It's a Wonderful Life character, George Bailey, um, when he's seeing what the world is like without him, he gets to the end and he sees like a graveyard. And he's like, wait, my brother's dead? And he's like, well, he drowned when he was six. You weren't there to save him. him. And then it turns out the brother who was a war hero like saved a whole ship of people from sinking or something like that. He wasn't there, so... But because he didn't save him, he wasn't there to yeah. save those people. And it's like this chain of cause and effect of how meaningful your life could be. And and this um, essay by Kevin Simler uh, was all about meaning being pointing. And the idea that, that the, the meaning of any thing X is how many vectors of pointing of influence it has on the world. So if, if you're living in the woods and you have zero contact with any other meaningful thing, then you have no meaning. But if you're point X and you're connected to 10 meaningful things and they're each connected to 10 meaningful things, you have all this meaning by connection. 
So the quote is, few things are meaningful all by themselves. Most derive their meaning from the things they point to. Of course, the buck has to stop somewhere at some source of inherent axiomatic meaning. In a religious context, for example, God is the ultimate arbiter of what is or isn't meaningful. Meanwhile, in secular contexts, most people seem happy to accept the premise that human life is inherently meaningful or something along those lines. I think that's us, that last one. We're accepting that life is inherently meaningful. And my argument is, if you just stop and surrender, the, if you, the meaning comes. Yeah, or if you like make your own meaning out of it, like for everybody, it's different. Oh, yeah. I mean, we were saying yeah, the, like the exactly. Nietzsche thing in, in episode one, where you can make that process like individuation. But I think surrender is a big part of that process, yeah. right? Yeah, I would um, agree with that. So the last thing we'll end with as like a conclusion to how to find meaning and how to build meaning is we have to deal with the Camus thing. Um, you read Camus in Turkish, right? Yeah. I remember I started trying to read Camus in Turkish, like with the English right side <laughs> by side, but it was still like, I mean, I mean, I'm still trying. And actually I'm trying to read this very book. I'm about to quote the myth of Sisyphus. Um, <laughs> but that kind of philosophy language I mean, I can't is so hard in a second language. Reading philosophy in English. I mean, I do, but a lot of the times it's very difficult. Anyway. So Camus was about absurdism. He thought his Which conclusion I love, I of like think. existentialism, like in dealing with that, was that life is absurd. Um, but he had a really cool way of arriving at not being a nihilist. At yes, that's all. I love it. Like I feel like it really values the fact that life, you know, just. It, it's very complicated, but like inherently like kind of meaningless, but you... It's really going deep into the meaninglessness of it. And I feel like if you meet someone who you want not to be a, a nihilist and you want to give them the best chance at like choosing something else, Camus is the thing to read because hmm. he doesn't shy away from like the naked depressingness of reality, but he also comes to a different conclusion. I mean, for God's sakes, he opens up the myth of Sisyphus with this sentence. There is but one truly serious philosophical problem, and that is suicide. <laughs> Judging whether life is or is not worth living amounts to answering the fundamental question of philosophy. That and is I, pretty much how far you made it in the book by doing Turkish. In Turkish, yeah, I made it that far. <laughs> I was like, wait, what is this word, though? Why is it here? <laughs> um, that's an intense sentence to open a Turkish, book with. Yeah. But ah. I think it at the end comes back to the... Well, no, I think it's the fundamental question. It's like not a bad idea. It's sort of, Kurt Vonnegut does that at one point. He opens up his first page by saying, this is the thesis of the book. <laughs> I think it's of Mother Night. He goes, if my book has, has a theme, it's a relatively simple one. We are who we pretend to be. So be careful about who you pretend to be. <laughs> That's beautiful. And it's like something about setting the foundation of your of your claim, like so boldly in the front, like really it's a good technique. And he's right. For, I mean, I connected to that line because remember we said um, in, in, in the first part about uh, GE more infinite regression, like you can keep asking why questions, mm -hmm. why, why should you do this? Why should you, why is that good? Why is that good? Why should you aim at good? You eventually say, why, sh why is good good? Right. Mm 
Um, I think that is the same way of saying, like, if good isn't good, that seems like life isn't worth living. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, if you can't even have a concept that's something like good, like, then you have no aim. Where do you aim? Like, so that's really what Kamu is opening with. Like, if you can't make a judgment of, like, whether this, that's the fundamental judgment. It comes down to that. Because, like, if, if, if you can't aim anywhere, then there's no meaning, then there's no reason to existing kind of thing. He wrote a preface to it um, uh, with this quote. Written 15 years ago in 1940 amid the French and European disaster, this book declares that even within the limits of nihilism, it is possible to find the means to proceed beyond nihilism. In all the books I've written since, I've attempted to pursue this direction. Although the myth of Sisyphus poses mortal problems, it sums itself up for me as a lucid invitation to live and to create in the very midst of the desert. Oh, that's beautiful. Yeah. I think, like, just I would make anybody, everybody read that book, like, if they're struggling with meaning. I feel like it's just very powerful, especially, like, how it progresses into the ending and then at the end, like, how just unravels like it was one of the last chapters where is we that see where this Sisyphus quote comes from where it says the struggle itself towards the height is enough to fill a man's heart one must imid- imagine, imagine Sisyphus, Sisyphus happy. happy yes that's I think towards I, I don't remember if it was the very last chapter but I remember that was the like basically conclusion such a powerful message it really is and that's the assumption it really what what that opening question like whether or not to commit suicide is the fundamental question. It's really saying, are you the type of person that imagines Sisyphus happy? Or do you imagine imagine him miserably aware of the absurd nature of his existence? Yeah. You know? Yeah. And if you can honestly look at the situation of Sisyphus and then imagine him happy you've done your part of seeing the absurdity of your own life, that you're constantly chasing things, never holding on to anything for real. You die, everyone you know dies. There's a lot of suffering along the way. Like, and Mm -hmm. you will die, everyone you know will die, so all of this will be forgotten for the most part. Like, that's the absurd part, right? If you can honestly look at that and then choose to still be like, up to be positive to be bright you know um that's the imagining sisyphus happy thing i think yeah i think so i think like kamu really speaks to me like more than like a jean-paul sartre type of thing i mean i read i'm no philosopher first of all i just like was very interested in both of their books and then i think sartre was like a little too nihilistic like one of the books he has i think it was stranger i hope it was his whole <laughs> google mm. i think so yeah it was sarge yeah i never read it oh no it was kamu never mind stranger is kamu yeah kamu, yeah it's never. on your bookshelf at home <laughs> okay <laughs> anyway um, i got confused but i think um I mean, the lesson for me on on this topic, just more zoomed out, is 
the the reality is absurd. I think we I think Camus nailed that, right? Mm-hmm. Um, Camus didn't think Sisyphus was someone you should pity, mm-hmm. but he was like an absurd hero, um, choosing the goodness of life, even though he knew his situation was absurd. It's like the obvious case, right? You're pushing a rock up a a mountain. As soon as you accomplish that goal, it reverts back to when you first started, you know? Um, So I think the lesson for me, as I contended with nihilism more and more as I got older, is you have to constantly wrestle with it. You should never be like so... um, scared of looking at it that you don't think about it at all. Mm-hmm. People like that, when a tragedy hits them, it really hits them. Yeah. Because they never really imagine someone close to them could die or something like that. And then when it happens, they're like just in this shock, you know? And yeah, that can hit everybody really harshly. Oh God, yeah. I mean, <laughs> we all have um, things that we don't want to look at, but I'm not judging it in that sense. I just mean... The, the sort of zoomed out one is just seeing that about life itself, like seeing the, the looking down, you know, mm-hmm. they, the spirituality being um, here down more than it is here up. You're not just going to like go meditate every day and be like, we, I'm in the clouds. It's more like going down and dealing with stuff too. Mm-hmm. So you have to like wrestle with that nihilism and then find meaning. Because when you don't, you get sucked into the dogma of ideology or religion or something like that. You get, you know what dogma is? Yes, of course. Right? Just like Same these way. firm rules that are, that you can no longer question kind of thing. Yeah. And I think that's dangerous. It's really dangerous. Um, if it, whatever form. Personally for you, it if it's like a cult from. or a religion. Yeah, exactly. Whatever form it comes from. And then I have like a firsthand experience with someone dealing with that in my family i hope they're not listening but yeah like you mean your aunt that's in that culty thing <laughs> thanks for you know i wasn't gonna like disclose so much but yeah it's just it's very it's a virus basically it's a mind virus it's very dangerous and it and and can the, come the, in all kinds of forms and shapes i think and and the way it gets people is often because they don't think they're the type of person that can be gotten by it. You know, like that's why I'm always like very careful, (laughs) just careful about how I form opinions because like you can feel the way networks of opinions start to form in your head in a way that you're almost not in charge, you know, because as soon as you start to build a little bit of an opinion on something, it starts to alter how you take in information and all of a sudden you're lost somewhere that you didn't expect to end up. Have fewer opinions. <laughs> yeah, that's a good article. Who, who's the genius <laughs> Who that came up with that? that? Um, here's the other reason to genuinely contend with nihilism. When you have somebody you're talking to that like is nihilistic and you want them to be not nihilistic, like it helps when you can show that you actually have seen what they have, they have seen, you know? Especially when you talk, I, being 32, like if I talk to like someone younger... They, I can sort of see like a younger version of myself. Like I felt so confident in being like, you know, j- just kind of seeing that view for the first time of like, we're all atoms in this giant universe, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, 
and then you sort of like can see the younger version of yourself that didn't quite build up like, okay, that's all true, but like there's shit to do right in front of me that's meaningful, you know? So it, it helps when they can see you've seen into that same darkness. Like you kind of um, were brave enough to see the truth too. And you still chose like, like responsibility and meaning. Yeah. Um, Cause if, if you try to just be like now, now you should be more responsible. Like they're just like, Oh man, you don't get it. Um, and yeah, reading Kamu is like the same kind of thing. You're like, all right, he got it. He just also chose this other conclusion of, of, life is good and imagine Sisyphus happy, you know? Yeah. I think that's very mature. That's it. That's, I don't know. That's at least how I come to conclusions with whenever I deal with nihilism. Yeah. I think it's important to keep that, um, sort of light in your subconscious, like the one that's guiding you, the, the belief that being is good. The, the the sort of belief of like Sisyphus is happy, you know, mm-hmm. that, that even though we're all struggling in this thing, you have to imagine that the good outweighs the bad, even if just by a little bit, mm-hmm. that's the imagining Sisyphus happy. Yep. Any other thoughts on nihilism? I don't think we covered everything. I had a closing quote by Alan Moore. Okay. He's the guy that wrote like, um, V for Vendetta and, oh, cool. um, What's the comic? Uh, some famous comic I'm drawing a blank on the name of. Um, anyways, he said, famously, there's not really anywhere to go after nihilism. It's not progressing toward anything. It's a statement of outrage, however brilliant. No comment. <laughs> I was about to just like start like, oh, that quote's cool because, and I was like, Luke, time to shut up and make pizza. Yep, lovely pizza. It's Watchmen. Okay. Thanks for listening. See ya. Bye. All right. Thanks for listening to this episode of Exploring Kodawari. If you enjoyed it, we hope you'll consider sharing it on social media and with friends. You can also help us out by leaving a rating and a review wherever you listen to podcasts. Those help us more than you would think. And if you'd like to help us out in a more substantial way, consider going over to our website to make a donation through PayPal. Links are in the episode notes for this. You can do this as a one-time donation or a recurring monthly donation. All of that support will help us to set aside time in order to create content for the podcast and the blog. And finally, please get in touch with us and say hi, either on social media or privately through email. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for listening and see you next time.